Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side, And from Atlanta, Georgia, it's Kurt Dupuy. Really good episode here today. We have our, our friend, our mutual friend now, since as he's a recurring guest, Mr. Jared Morris. He's coming on to give us our one-year report card. Wow. Can you, can you believe we've, we've been talking in these microphones for a year already? It's been a year. Yeah. Happy birthday, Kurt. Yeah. Same to you, buddy. Um, and if you want to get us a gift, make sure that you subscribe and tell two friends, two other colleagues down the hall or colleagues that uh, are your peers in the area that you know would benefit from what we're doing here. So if you haven't listened to the episode five when he was on the first time, definitely check that out. Jared's an expert in the podcasting world, and he's going to fire some evaluation questions at us and grade us. So we'd love to include you all in discussions about building the show and the vision. Steve and I are just leading the conversation. Our audience and community, you're what's going to shape it. So the report card will be segment two. Segment one, we'll ask Jared about some topics you'll appreciate. He runs a community for entrepreneurs called Unemployable. Given most of you listening are entrepreneurs, Kurt and I picked out some really powerful and relevant topics. We spent the most time discussing the concept of building communities. And finally, in segment three, I take over, probably the word is hijack, the Costanza Corner. Correct. To do a segment that is going to be uplifting to maybe only me, maybe. Um, and Jared. And Jared. Jared and I are going to talk some IU hoops as he is the host of the Assembly Call, a super popular podcast on IU basketball. If you have no interest in college basketball, in Indiana in particular, you can go ahead and skip that last segment. However, we did get a community member and friend of the show, Mike from Sand Hill Road, who sent me a mailbag question that gave me just enough opening uh, to do this segment. Let's get into this must-listen episode with Jared Morris. All right. So super excited to have back Mr. Jared Morris. Never thought I would say that about 18 months ago. Welcome back, man. Great to see you. Man, it's awesome to be here, Steve. Thanks for bringing me back on. Of course. Um, if you haven't listened to which episode, Kurt, was that episode four we had him on? I think it's I, th I think it's actually five, but yeah. Check that out because that still remains one of my favorite episodes. Jared was a big inspiration for this show. So delighted to have him on. And so we're going to, we're going to have, uh, have you on for a while, man. We're, we got a, some ground to cover. The first we're going to start with is some of the concepts you, you belong to unemployable. You lead the, the community there. You're a partner there. I want you to talk about that. I spent time in that community. We've got a couple of concepts there that we think will be good for our audience. And then the core of it is, is you're coming on to give us a, a report card. You were so much a part of the creation of the show, the thought process, the, the vision. Um, now here we are a year later and we want to get evaluated. Where are we, right? So that's going to be fun. And then I'm hijacking our final segment, um, whether anyone likes it or not, because the last time you were on, I, I, I held myself back. I did not talk about IU hoops. 
I can't do it again. So I'm hijacking our final segment to to do five questions about IU basketball. Is that reasonable, Jared? I like everything about that. There you all. There. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but that was awesome. Well, you should know about this because that is Coach Woodson, and uh, it is it is good times for Indiana basketball right now, um, mostly because of that man. It is. We have a coach, and no games have been played, so all things are possible, and no losses have piled up, so things are good. Nirvana for a sports fan. <laughs> Give us the background on you again. I don't know. I tried to count up all the different podcast episodes that I've hosted over the years because we're well over 700 with the assembly call. Yeah. You know, we did a hundred and some with the showrunner. I hosted a couple hundred of podcasts on the brink, you know, and then there's others that have started and stopped uh, along the way. So I'm well over a thousand podcast episodes, you know, somewhere in there, uh, which is really, which is something that I started doing, gosh, like 12, 13 years ago uh, when I was running a site called Midwest Sports Fans and my business partner, was like a big audio file. And so he like set up this closet. We weren't doing anything with it. He like put up all this sound deadening foam and like this really nice microphone. I'm like, what is he doing? But he was like, he's a musician. And so he just kind of had fun doing that stuff. Yeah. And so and I started to hear about podcasting and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll try like recording some stuff and did some interviews, did like some fantasy football podcasts. They're all horrible. You know, and I go back and listen <laughs> to them now and it's like, Oh my gosh, like, uh, you know, it's like a bad mic. So my voice sounds like really high pitched and it's just, it's bad, you know, but it's like, Hey, that's, that's where I started. And everybody kind of starts out that way. And, you know, if you're not terrified by your first few podcasts, you know, you probably, you probably weren't putting yourself out there enough. Well, that's one of my first questions, Jared, is because I'm not there yet. And I'm, I'd likely never will be. When do you get that like podcaster cadence that you have down so well I don't, I don't know. That's an interesting question. It just takes practice. You know, it's like one of those things. It just takes reps to do it over and over. Like someone, someone asked, I was having a conversation about that with someone in unemployable the other day, you know, they, we were talking about, cause we do these, like these happy hours. Um, so everybody gets on zoom and we kind of hang out and you know, folks are like, you know, you're really good at like hosting these. It's like, how do you, how did you get good at it? Doing it a lot, <laughs> you know, like, there's no real secret behind it. It's just kind of doing it a lot and you get more comfortable and you kind of realize what works. Um, you know, but as far as like a particular cadence behind the mic, it's just to me, I think what happens is the more hours that you log behind the microphone, you start to r recognize less and less that there is a microphone there. <laughs> you know, it just becomes like a part of of kind of how you talk and you become comfortable behind it. For me, at first, it was like, oh, my God, you know, the microphone's here and, you know, would almost like freeze up and not know what to say. Now, having done a lot of live shows and just having done a lot of recordings, it's just kind of it's just kind of second nature. My rule of thumb for new podcasters back when we were coaching podcasters with the showrunner was like 50 episodes. You know, like you got to get through 50 episodes to kind of get comfortable and like, which is a lot. I know. We're halfway there. Feel like, yeah. To kind of feel like yourself back there. Well, and it's awesome because, you know, we always used to say like, okay, a lot of podcasts start and then they'll kind of fade out after like eight to 12 episodes. There's just a graveyard in Apple podcasts of all these shows that have great ideas and first few episodes where people are excited. And then it's like episode nine is the last one. It's like, well, what happened to that one? It's like, well, they had a great idea, but they didn't have the follow through and there must not have been enough enthusiasm there or, you know, something in their life took them in a different direction. So that's kind of the first hurdle that you get past. And then the next one is kind of like 25. And if you get past that, 
now you're kind of rolling. And then to me, it was always, you know, about 50 episodes, about a year, folks really start to understand kind of who they are behind the mic and who the audience is that they're talking to. You guys are off to a great start, you know, but there's there's no real way to fast forward it, except it's like, I mean, I always think about it like sports. It's just reps. I've been getting, uh, Kurt, I probably have told you, I've been getting a lot of compliments lately on uh, people saying, wow, you actually sound like a legitimate show you don't sound like people are people shocked trying too. to <laughs> figure out like so that's nice to get those comments and do you talk to your wife and kids the same way do you talk on podcasts oh absolutely oh yeah. no question yeah. all I, right I and so. it's time for dinner <laughs> okay here's what we cook today <laughs> what do you turn the radio on oh, in the car <laughs> your daughter goes dada <laughs> yeah. no, actually no my wife will say that sometimes she's like you know you're in broadcaster voice <laughs> you know it's like oops okay let me, let me get needs, back out of she that. needs that toggle to turn that on and off yeah <laughs> so you were doing the midwest sports site it really, it all started back with Midwest sports fans because that's when I first podcasted. That's when I first got into doing sports stuff uh, and really kind of learned, you know, how you start to build an audience online. Did not understand email though. If I'd understood email and to get people onto an email list, I really could have done something with Midwest sports fans, but I didn't. And so at the end, it was just like, we had this viral traffic, but if I don't get it, put another viral post out tomorrow, our traffic is basically zero, you know? And the linchpin, the missing piece for me was when, we got acquired by Copyblogger and I started learning from Brian Clark. It's like, oh, you build the email list. That's the asset. So you actually have an audience, not just a bunch of traffic. So it, I would have, you know, if I had like my own alternate history, I would love to see what I could have done with that site if I had understood that because that's been a huge part of our growth for the assembly call. Yeah, that's awesome. And so Brian Clark, um, he's your partner at Unemployable, right? So, so talk to yes. us a little bit about that. You know, basically unemployable, the, the initial tagline was, this is for people who can get a job, they're just not inclined to take one. So for freelancers and solopreneurs, people who just don't want to work for somebody else, they want to do their own thing. And so he spent a good two years just writing a weekly newsletter, not really having a business plan behind it per se, just an idea and a brand and a topic that he was really interested in pursuing and kind of helping people out with. And he would send out every week these resources for freelancers and solopreneurs when we started that probably about two, two and a half years ago, because at that point, like he had, you know, he had the audience, right? He had an email list. He had people that were responsive on the email list. And it was like, okay, now we've built this audience. We've kind of built some trust with these folks. We've learned from them. What's the next step? Well, now it's time to start developing products. And we had the idea to put a community together. He had some ideas on what he wanted to teach about curation, you know, as a way to build an audience that's then going to help you build your business. And so uh, we built that community, uh, put a course together. It's called the Seven Figure Small Intensive. Uh, and so that ended up becoming the revenue model for Unemployable. And so we've kind of gone through that cycle. And now we're getting ready to kind of do a new part of the course, you know, expand the community even more. So it's worked out really well. And it's been great for me because I've learned a ton from him. I mean, he's one of the pioneers in you know, and content marketing uh, and using the internet to build an audience, build a business. So it's, it's an education for me, you know, every single day. And I think that's one of the things that's helped us with the assembly call is that's not a space where most of the people who have shows have podcasts are really thinking that way. And I just do it naturally because it's what I do for work. And I think that's really helped us kind of build an audience and build loyalty and do a lot of those things. So it's, it, and it's kind of been a fun place for me to like try different stuff, you know, and, and learn different things. So somehow it, it all kind of, kind of fits together. 
Like like podcasting while driving in a car. That was one I saw yes. you do recently. I was like, for, first of all, let me just tell you the last year. The last year I thought to myself, where the heck is this guy? This is the most annoying Indiana basketball season of, uh, that I've watched in a while. I, I hated this year. I so did I. Couldn't mm-hmm. stand it. And then you weren't there. So, you know, we were missing that perspective. And then now now you're back and you're doing so many podcasts. You're doing it in a moving car. So kudos. kudos. It's nice to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back. You know, it was hard last year because we were moving and, you know, some of the other projects that I have going on were really taking up more of my time. And, you know, my wife was pregnant. And so it was like all this stuff converged and it just because the the problem with the assembly call is like we have set times when we do shows. We do shows on Thursday nights at nine Eastern and we go live right after games. So there's no wiggle room. I can't be like, oh man, I you know I got to do bedtime tonight. Let's record at eleven. It's like, uh, no, the game ended at seven. You're, we're going live right now. So fortunately, you know, Andy and Coach and Ryan, my co-host there, were awesome in being able to pick up the slack. It was just kind of one of those like, all hands on deck. Let's just make sure that we have shows when we say we're going to, you know. But since then, you know, with and none of this would have happened without the coaching change. We actually we had a conversation right when the offseason started. Like, should we take the offseason off? Like, is anybody going to care if, if, <laughs> if they bring the coach back? You know, I don't know if anybody's going to care about content this offseason legitimately. Maybe we just like go to a show every other week or we go, you know, we take the offseason off. Cut to two weeks later, they fire the coach. Everybody's excited. But when there was breaking new stuff during the day, one of the benefits of kind of doing my own thing and managing my own time is, oh, okay, we just got this new commitment. Let's go live for an hour and talk about it. You know, and so we kind of found we kind of found this new niche where it's like, all right, so we're not just going to go live right after games. Maybe we'll be like the breaking news folks that when news breaks, we'll just get on there and react to it and give reactions. And the driving one happened because I had to go pick up my daughter like right then, but then news broke. So I was like, well, let's try this on the phone. It was just an experiment. I thought it, I thought it could fail miserably, but it ended up being okay because people were so hungry for just anything. It's like, just talk IU basketball. We'll be there to listen. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it in a moving car. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I want to connect the dots uh, really quickly between the kind of unemployable project of yours and how that might makes sense for our audience because I'm just looking at some of the topics that you guys have been talking about, which, you know, if, if you are a financial professional and fancy yourself an entrepreneur, especially in the digital age, like how to build an, an audience from scratch in 2021, the art of selling your business, very pertinent as, as people kind of phase, phase in and out. And the, the smart way to think about scaling your digital business. Yeah. Uh, okay. But so to the topic of community, does it make sense to build an audience around your current client base? I, I guess the alternative would be your prospective client base. So h- how would you think about that? I mean, I think if you're really committed to building community, it makes sense to build any type of community. Um, because, you know, in so many ways, community is kind of what separates people and brands now. Because, you know, Content is just kind of a commodity. Like almost any topic that you want to write about, there's probably stuff out there about it already. You know, and you may have a new twist on it, you got your own take on it, but there's already so much stuff out there. You know, people don't need more content. What they really need, they need to know who they can trust and they want a community, they want a sense of belonging. These are the two things that people really, really want. And so I think when you can bring that to people, 
that's going to connect people to you. And when it's time for them to figure out like, you know, who are we going to hire? Who are we going to do business with? People want to do business with, you know, someone they feel a sense of belonging with and someone that they, that they trust. And so to me, you know, building a community is just, it's one of the best ways to do that. The issue is, of course, building community is hard and you have to be really committed to it. It's one of those things like you don't really want to half-ass it because it's almost like kind of starting a community and then letting it fade out. More than eight podcast episodes. It can almost sometimes hurt you, you know, more than it than it helps you. But I just think it's such a differentiator these days. Let's say you have your own client base. And so they're already your clients. Is there a big benefit to to creating a community around that current client base? I suppose, and I think the answer is yes, because um, the chances of you losing clients probably decreases. The chances of of getting greater uh, wallet share and things like that increases. The chances of getting referrals increases. Um, those are the things I think about. Is that, how do you think about that in current clients versus like prospects? Uh, no, I think I think all of those things. I think you can do both. I don't think it necessarily has to be one or the other. You know, I think you can create a community where there's a lobby that prospects can kind of come in and can kind of see what you're doing. And there's certain things that you show them, but then there's a little walled garden beyond that where the customers go. And it's a different level of engagement. It's a different level of information. But I think sometimes what people miss when they think about community, because you're right, like all those things that you said are right. Like if you want people to be stickier, you know, to stick with you and not go with someone else, community is a great way to do it. Because now not only would they be leaving you, they'd be leaving your community. And in a good community, people actually become friends. Like they kind of yeah. care about each other. And so there's there's more there. Referrals, definitely. You know, again, now it's not just, oh, you know, talk to this guy who gives me financial advice. It's more like, hey, man, I'm part of this community that has helped me in all these different ways. But I think the other thing that you don't fully appreciate until you actually get into it is how much you learn from being in a community. Because it's one thing to like being able to jump on like a one-on-one call or maybe to be able to email someone back and forth, but to actually, you know, to have the ability to interact with individual people within a community, you get to see them in different situations and you get to interact with them in different situations and sometimes you just get to step sit back and see what questions they ask, you know, what how the other people answer, what the gaps are and what they know. And it gives you this incredible insight into what do my people really need from me right now? You know, and you can al- almost just like come in as the oracle with the answer to this question that they may not have even known that they were thinking about, but it kind of came out in what they're talking about. I like I try to do that with with the unemployable initiative as we try to like, you know, plan sessions and figure something out. Like the other day, you know, like NFTs and cryptocurrency and all this, this is like a big topic right now. And so we hadn't talked about it a ton inside of the Unemployable Initiative, but this guy just happened to open up a you know a conversation about it. Like it was kind of off topic, even. It was almost like, yeah. all right, you know, you're putting this conversation, but all these people started commenting on it. It's like there's a real interest here, ah. you know, and there's a definite angle for you know how content creators can use NFTs. So it's like, okay, maybe this is actually something that we should talk about a little bit more. So it's just there's like a. There's just a special magic that happens when people get together. But, you know, you, you have to do your work as a community leader to make them, you know, open and feel safe and and to kind of encourage the conversation. It's it's not a passive activity at all. So it's not right for everybody, not because I don't think everybody could benefit from it, but because I don't think everybody would truly be committed to doing it the right way. 
Um, and so you would, you have to make that decision. But I think what you learn from the conversations that happen can just it can just help you serve that audience so much better because it gives you so much insight into what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're fearing, what they what their goals are, all those things, which are so important. What is the engagement that that you're looking for uh, specifically? So, is it email banter back and forth? Is it a forum where people can like type messages? Is it is it actual phone calls? It'll depend on how you want to interact with folks. So, to me, I don't think about email as much with community. I think of email as the step before community. Like, I would never. That doesn't mean you couldn't do it, but I would. I would just never think about having a community until I kind of had an engaged email list. Because to me, that's how I always kind of engage with people and kind of figure out, okay, like if our audience attraction is a podcast or doing social media stuff, well, what's the goal of all that? Well, it's to get them on an email list. Because now if I have them on an email list, I've got an audience asset. I can communicate with them on my terms whenever I want to. You know, So let me work from there. And whether I have a newsletter or something else that I'm using for regular engagement, I've got something there with email that's giving everybody the same experience, but they're all having it just individually with me. And hopefully I'm getting some one-on-one interaction, right? You know, and hopefully people are interacting with your content also outside of that. But then once you kind of get some signals that, hey, this, this group of people is ready for the next step, then I would go to a community platform. And the reason to use a platform like a Mighty Networks or a Circle is essentially to give people, you know, part of what they like with a Facebook or with a social media site, which is, you know, the ability to go post, the ability to have discussions, the ability to just interact, but only with our people and not with the distractions of Twitter ads and Facebook ads and all this other stuff. Like this is ours and we can design it how we want to. But what I do really like having are events. Like events are a big thing for communities. You know, so whether it's a recurring happy hour or whether it's a webinar that's educational in nature, you know, or, you know, there's lots of different types of events that you could have. You have to think about, okay, why are these people engaging in a community with me? Because if it's just for discussion amongst themselves, now you can kind of have, you know, like a traditional forum. But, you know, the best way to use community, especially I think for for the people who listen to your show, is you're also trying to build your own authority at the same time. So you want to provide education, you know, help them come up with whatever transformation they're trying to have. Like with unemployable, it's really simple. You know, people are trying to build businesses. They're trying to build lifestyle businesses that basically allow them to live the life that they want to live, right? So they're coming to us at a point where they're not happy with that or they have questions and we're trying to get them to that next point where they've got this lifestyle business they're crazy about. Like there's a very specific transformation, the Simply Call community is a little bit different because this is IU sports fans. Like, what's the transformation? But the transformation is, for a lot of people, they don't want to just experience IU basketball on their own. They want to experience it with friends. They want to have a group of people to experience it with. So that that transformation to go from you know being a fan on an island to being a fan that's part of something greater that experiences a sense of belonging. And you kind of want to think those things through, you know, so you know how to design it. I think I think for our audience, that's exactly it. It's it's the events, uh, building it around events and the educational content, and then if you could get the people in your client base to get and create some kind of dialogue, be really kind of leading edge. So, Jared, we have to transition a bit to the podcast report card where you're gonna you're gonna help us evaluate ourselves, which is gonna be a lot of fun. I have crippling anxiety right now. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, before we do that, uh, 
anything else that you kind of high level, um, you think like concepts that you guys talk about at Unemployable that are universal, that are worth mentioning? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you know, we, we, we dove into this thing with community because we thought it was relevant. Anything else you think our, our audience should think about? I think the other big thing is just the concept of unretirement. You know, this idea that we work and work and work and work to save up for this retirement, but then I guess we're not going to work anymore. But then, you know, what do you do? Like, what what is the thing after that? And I think, you know, Brian's big thing is stop like dreaming about this time after you're 65 when you're retired and you're going to live this ideal lifestyle. Because what a lot of people find out when they quote unquote retire and stop working is they've also kind of lost their purpose. And they're not really happy. And no amount of money that they have saved is going to help them do that. So why not just try to live your ideal life right now? You know, Design your life right now to do that. All these things that you kind of wish you could be doing, how many of them could you incorporate into your life right now? Which, you know, to me, you know, even someone who's not you know, close yet to retirement age, it's an inspiring idea you know, to think about. It is. Very empowering. It is. And I, I see a lot of our you know, the, the, our clients and prospects, a lot of times they're, they're leading these, these businesses where they have to work lots and lots of hours because growth is always the, the thing they want to take it to the next level. Um, and then ultimately sell it, but you can envision a situation where maybe, you know, you, you don't keep the business, the size that it is. Maybe you take it down to a point where you don't have to retire, but you've got something that's a whole lot more manageable. That's what I thought about for our audience when I heard that concept. It's about taking your future into your own hands, you know, and not being beholden to somebody else and not waiting to do it. it the line Brian always likes to use is, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. Like this is this is it. Like this is the show, you know, so don't wait around, you know, design it how you want it to be right now as much as you can. Yeah, that's great. You guys are doing a great job with Unemployable. I, I joined Thank uh, you. last year after you were on the show and you know, it's not uh, our industry, but I'm like, hey, let me check this out. And man, it's it, it, I got a lot of cool ideas from it um, because our clients are, are entrepreneurs. Okay, cool. So let's transition. So um, as I mentioned up front in the intro, Jared was a huge inspiration for the show. He helped us think through our vision. It was kind of amazing. We had that aha moment last time he was on. And here we sit a year later. As Kurt said, we got plenty, 20 plus episodes. And so we brought you, we want you to evaluate us. Let's do this. So, okay. So remind me again, you know, in your words, what is the goal for your podcast? What are you trying to achieve with it? Just kind of in a macro sense. And then in a more specific sense, like when someone listens to an episode of your show, what do you want them to do? I We're of the opinion that the industry in which we work is changing quickly, and a lot of people are not well-suited to adapt to both the speed and the magnitude of change. So we want to have a platform and a community of people that want to improve, they want to get better at their craft and be a resource to help them do that. Okay. Is that succinct enough good. side? The community part is really important to us. So it would be awesome and it is going to be awesome if we get 8 million listeners per episode. Um, what's more important to us is that we have engaged people that listen consistently and then we're just leading the conversation and so that we benefit by by engaging with each other. And it's 
it's those two kind of things that that have driven the show so far. Does that make sense? Totally. So you used a really interesting phrase there, which is leading the conversation, which I always like. And I think if you're going to actually create a community, you have to think in that way. You know, because if you're just going to dominate the conversation, you're just looking to talk to people. Well, now you're not letting anybody into the conversation. You know, and I always I always try to think about that with the assembly call, same way. Like we're leading the conversation and we're here, you know, to lead it, but we want to provide avenues for other people to join in. So if that's really one of your goals, so what other avenues do you have where you can get feedback from listeners? And are people providing that feedback? Because I think now that you're, you know, twenty some episodes in, if that's really one of your goals, you probably should have started to see some of that. Yeah. So there's two ways. One is we've got email distribution lists um, of, of people that are that we're distributing the show to. We also use LinkedIn. LinkedIn's more of just like an announcement. Hey, here's the show. There's not a lot of engagement via LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And then we're going out and we're seeing our clients and prospects all the time. And a lot of them are those are the people that are listening to our show. So through those two things, we're, we're getting feedback. We're getting input on new shows, things like that. You know, to your question about are we getting, like how's the input been? Good, but if I had to be critical, I would say narrow. So we know our the number of people that are listening to our show has been phenomenal. Me and Kurt are like, wow, really? It's just like it's surprising that that we that the amount of, pe- amount of people listen. But when I send out an email and I'm asking for feedback or something, we get a lot of the same people that respond. And I'd like to expand that out. So I have two responses to that. One is, I mean, it, it's a great goal. You want as many people to respond as possible. You know, no question about it. I, w- I would not be critical, though. I mean, you guys are, what, 20-some episodes in. And so you're, you're sending out emails, asking people for replies, and they're doing it. That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure Thank that you. a lot of podcasts after 20 episodes get that, because that was actually going to be one of my questions, which is, like, when you ask people a question... When you ask people to do something, do they do it? You know, like if you're on the podcast and you say, hey, send us a tweet, you know, to let us know X, do people actually do it? You're not going to get a ton. You know, there may be people who are interested in their reading, but they're just not going to actually reply. Like that's just not kind of what they do. They're not, it might either just be that they're not that close with you yet, or it's just not, they're just, they look at content as, okay, these guys are doing this podcast out here. I'm going to consume this but I'm not like breaking that wall to make a connection with them. And that's fine. Like they're always going to be those people on your downloads list. That's okay. But the fact that you're getting some that are replying, I think is actually really good because once your audience gets really big, you've got a beast to feed and it takes a lot of time to feed that beast. And you don't always have the time to interact one-on-one with people. What you have now in the early stages of a podcast is actually something that a lot of podcasters or audience builders, when they get down the road, wish they could get back to, which is a small audience with a few people to engage with. Because you can Mm -hmm. go one-on-one and you can kind of do some of the things that don't scale to help you get your podcast to the point where it does. And so for every show I've been a part of, there was always a small group of people in the beginning that you know really liked it they got on board with it they were excited and they're emailing you know to you know to respond or whatever and i think if you really invest some time in those people they can become ambassadors that help share your podcast and get people on board and bring other people in and so and you know instead of being critical number one i'd just be really really proud that you've built something that's getting responses because most people don't and then 
figure out what the best way is to further those relationships. So like building a really tight core early on can be so huge, you know, and hopefully you get to the point later on where it's like, oh my God, there's like, there's almost too many people to connect individually with, you know, like we, I struggle with that sometimes on the assembly call. Cause I want to like connect with every single person. And sometimes there's so many emails coming in and I can't give each one like the actual time to reply that I want, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good spot to be in. And so I think if your goal is really community you know, then really doing everything to to build those relationships with those early, not just listeners, but people who are actually engaging. It's huge. Well, and side, I don't think I can't remember the last time we actually like plugged ourselves on the podcast. Like we said, hey, if you like this, tell tell a friend down the hall or something. Like, we don't even yeah, do that. We, we should be better at that. For we sure. should. Well, and that's one of the things that I'm taking away is a clear course to chart from here. So, you know, we each email kind of our respective parts of the country. But there's sort of a Chinese wall in between that. So we could you know, help bridge that by doing events where people you know, from the Southeast can meet people out, out West that, that they don't know and begin to share ideas. What will, ha- what will be challenged to figure out is that kind of real time, I think of like forum type engagement just for compliance reasons. And that's going to be a tougher thing to figure out. But if, if we did more events together or an East Coast time and West Coast time and and ask people to participate. I think that's a a really good next step for us. Are you talking about like Zoom events, like live online events? Yeah, yeah. And wh- okay, so what do what do people come to you guys for? Are, are you a curator that's bringing interviews in, so they're coming for the expert advice from interviews? Are they coming for the advice from you? Because that's going to kind of determine what kind of events that you can do. You know, because you could do if they're looking at you as experts. You know, you could obviously do Q and As and answer people's questions. You know, if they're looking at you as someone who's more okay, they're doing this podcast and they bring us awesome guests. You know, you could even do like a, uh, you know, a virtual summit, like a one day virtual summit where it's like, hey, we've lined up these four awesome guests. You know, sign up for this. Like, why do people come to you? Because I always think that's important. Like, people either come to be entertained, they want to be educated, they want to be inspired. You know, or I think anymore, there's that. Those are always the three that we talked about on the showrunner. But I think anymore, there's a fourth one, which is they just want to feel connected. Like, like I listen, I don't know why. I ask myself this all the time. I'm like, why do I listen to the Bill Simmons podcast? Because I don't really like Bill Simmons that much. I don't <laughs> really, I don't really trust his opinions that much. And yet I listen to it. And there will be some times, and I'll, I'll, and I'll unsubscribe from it because I'm annoyed by something that happened. And then it'll be like a couple weeks later. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to think deeply about a podcast right now. I, I just, I want something that's on while I'm cooking. And I'll end up subscribing to the show because there's just something about like him talking and like the banter back and forth. It's like I'm, I'm eavesdropping on friends. And I guess I just want to feel connected for that moment around people <laughs> talking about sports. Like it's weird. I don't even know why I do it. So there's that fourth element of just yeah. feeling connected. So that's my question is why do people come to you guys? Do you, do you have a sense yet? Yeah. So we definitely want the entertainment piece. I'm going to answer your question. The main point, I just want to make sort of a comment up front that we, we consciously wanted the show to be funny and entertaining and kind of, you know, something we would listen to. And in fact, we got feedback recently from a consultant um, that was like, Hey, you know, you're doing this podcast of financial uh, professionals who don't have time to listen to an hour show. And that feedback was shorten it, but we're like, no, because 
we want it to be fun. We want it to be something. And that's what would happen if we if we had to cut it, we'd cut the the stupid fun stuff that we like to do that's the reason that people listen to it. It would be sterile. Yeah. I mean, so we're just not going to do it. But to answer your question, it's both. So Kurt and I are experts because we are out there engaging. So so think about this. Our industry has problems and opportunities that are, you know, and so we're out there, Kurt and I, meeting with all these 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 teams and figuring out and helping with problems and opportunities. So we're in this unique spot to like bring all that up and say, okay, guys, like here's everything and here's what we're seeing. Here's what we're doing, you know? And so we're doing the work. And so we're going to be a part of that expertise. But having said that, we also are going to be guest driven because we know where our expertise ends and we know that we're going to need people to fill in that gap. So the answer is both because we, we need both. You know? No, that's good. I mean, I think it's I think it's good to have a blend of the two. Yeah. You know, some people like you listen to shows and it's like just an interview show. It's like, okay, you know, and it's an interesting example. Like I was so I've been trying to like eat healthier, right? And so the other day I was like, I was out for a walk with my son and I was like, all right, I just I need a podcast. It's I, I just I eat too much sugar. I got it like these sugar cravings are just like insane. And so I I I put a search into my podcast app for sugar addiction. Right. And so like the first so the first podcast that comes up, I'm just like, fine, I'm going to listen to this. Right. And it was it was an interview. And so the guy, you know, the guy who was running the show, he's like a dietitian, something, something or other. But he had a guest on. And so I'm listening to the guest and the guest was unbelievable. And I was like, yes, these are the answers I've been looking for. Went to her website, signed up for her little like, you know, two week sugar, like reboot type thing. (laughs) It's been awesome. But point being, like it was his show, (laughs) but I didn't subscribe to his show. I went and followed her yeah, because she was, you know, because she was the guest. So, you know, in that case, like he probably could have done a better job of like kind of putting himself forward as an authority. But if you're just doing interviews, well, now people are just going to look to you for like, who's this person bringing me? So I think when you can blend it, that's awesome. So the fact that you have that mindset is great. And the other thing I want to say is... I love that you told that person, no, you're not going to shorten the show because (laughs) thank you. You know, people, people give advice and it's fine. And it's always good to listen to the advice, but it's always got to come back to what your mission is. And it's always got to come back to, all right, what is the unique space that we're trying to carve out here? Cause this is going to be the other question I was going to ask you and you kind of answered it, you know, which is how are you making yourselves different from the other shows that are out there? Cause if you're not different from the other shows that are out there, there's tons of financial shows out there. Like there's just there's tons of podcasts about everything. So do you theoretically like tighten the potential market of people who might be interested? Yeah, I guess so because there's probably going to be a lot of people that won't listen to an hour long show, don't find you funny, yada yada like start start click, you know, checking these things off. It's like, okay, but that's fine. You want the people who do want all of those things. And it's like, it's a smaller circle, but those are the actual people who would join a community. So if your goal is, we've got to get as many downloads as possible because we're going to advertise on this podcast, then maybe you don't do it that way. But if your goal is, we want our people who are going to like join a community and be really you know tight members, and we think we can find a thousand of them, which is really all you need. That's the number to shoot for. Well, then doing it your way is good because you've got to create a reaction and you created a reaction with that person. It was a negative one, whatever, fine. He wasn't one of the people, but there's probably other people that are saying like, all right, 
these guys are funny. This is a little bit different. Let me get some information while also kind of being able to have some laughs and connect with these guys too. So I think that's great. Also, what makes good audio? This is the thing that people don't under that people don't think about enough for podcasting. It's an audio medium. What makes good audio? Walking someone through a spreadsheet doesn't make good audio. Now, it might make a great upsell or a great, you know, opt-in incentive like, "Hey, you know, we were we you know, remember that the Excel thing we were joking about? Well, that actually is kind of serious. Go to our website, download it. We've actually got a 10-minute walkthrough video for that. We just weren't going to bore you with it on the podcast." You know, it's like Audio is about conversation and camaraderie and connection and sounds, you know? And it's like people forget about that and want to have these real technical conversations. Like the technical conversation may be really useful, but this may be the wrong medium for it. And you're not going to get someone coming back to your podcast if you bore them for 10 minutes or they're going to be daydreaming while they're washing the dishes. You got to keep people engaged in what you're talking about. So that intuition is spot on. Good. So, so far, everything sounds great. It sounds okay. like you guys are doing awesome. And I mean that because some of the questions that I've asked are questions that people either don't have an answer to because they haven't thought about them or they have very rigid answers to. And I like that you've thought about it beyond the just categorizing it in one way because almost all of these are there shades of gray between them. You know, like a podcast like yours can't be all information. It can't be all education because there's already that stuff out there. It's got to be combined with some of the other stuff. So, I mean, for being 20 episodes in, it sounds like you guys are doing an incredible job. So you what know? I'm hearing is we got an A plus from you. That's yeah, what what's I'm our hearing. rating system? I mean, I, I mean that's... <laughs> a plus? Yeah, maybe Ooh, not oh. <laughs> After He's 25 episodes... <laughs> after 25 episodes, I'm not sure if A plus is possible. That's probably right. <laughs> I don't know how, what kind of grader you are. I mean, no, I think I don't I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be an A. I mean, I guess, you know, the real question is how satisfied are you with it? And I guess the last question would be, you know, you had a certain level of enthusiasm when you started. You know, any podcast is only as good, it's only as sustainable as the enthusiasm of the hosts behind it. Because eventually the obvious next guest is gonna run out, you know, and eventually you're gonna be sick and tired of responding to people's emails. And eventually there's gonna be other things that seem more important for you to do and the podcast and get left on the back burner. Is there something pulling you back to it that's going to keep you there 700 episodes later after 10 basketball seasons and like all this stuff, you know, it's like, why do you keep coming back? And so I guess that's the, that's the other question that would determine it is, have you exhausted yourself getting to this point or do you feel like you're just getting started? And is your enthusiasm building it's an, it's an important question to be candid and honest about, not to lie to yourself about, because there'd be no shame in being like, hey, this was a good experiment, but now we're going to walk away from it because, you know, I just, I'm not really feeling it. There are clearly ebbs and flows, but what gets me enthusiastic is is having engagement. So, you know, you know if you, you don't hear from somebody for a couple of weeks and suddenly you just get an email out of the blue, hey, I just listened to your podcast episode or, hey, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I saw this topic and that's the stuff that just hits the TNT button. It's like, yes, this, this is why we're doing it. As long as people are, are engaging with us and it's, I don't see why, why we can't continue. Mm -hmm. I, I got a real kick out of, I'll be talking with a client or a prospect. Oh, I was listening to your show. And it's like, people actually do <laughs> listen to this thing, you know? And, and that's cool because, you know, we're, we're, you know, at the end of the day, like our job, Jared is, is sales. Like we, we sell investment products to, to people that invest. And uh, and so we get a certain amount of time with them. 
but now you've got this all this other time with them that you didn't know when you're not even there. Yeah, I get man, I get a kick out of that. I really do. Um, so I, I'm really, I, you know, I'm I'm as excited even more so now than I was a year ago. I think we're better, definitely better. We're definitely we better. <laughs> and there'll be some times I'm sure where it's like things will get busy and it's like, oh man, what do we have? But I don't know, man. I I'm pretty amped up about it. No one's doing what we're doing, so that's that's exciting too. I feel that's I still awesome. think we have a grace period to to screw up for a while because there's a lack of of competition for our particular niche. Um, because no one is doing it. Yeah. It was funny. One story I'll tell you that was a little bit kind of, you know, we're talking about the ebbs and flows. It wasn't, it wasn't um, like mass, this response, but we did something that was a little edgy and uh, you know, I got some negative feedback once and that was kind of interesting too. Like, that's like, okay, all right. There's where the line is. We Good. We want to know that. You want to know where the line yeah, is. That's okay. How far can you push we, it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, cause I remember I said, I'm like, I said this specific uh, segment to this guy. I'm like, we just did the funniest thing. You got to listen to it. And he was like kind of offended by it. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, okay. He thought it was the opposite yeah, of funny. Uh, <laughs> can we transition to the IU stuff or do you have any other yeah. questions on the podcast? Cool. No, yeah. it sounds like you guys are doing awesome. It really does. Thank you, man. Um, we're, uh, we're having a ball doing it. Um, they haven't. That's good. My company hasn't told us to stop yet. Um, so here we are. <laughs> it's always good. Hey, everyone. So before we get into the fun segment on Indiana basketball with Jared Morris, I kind of want to set the stage for everyone who doesn't follow the team as closely as we do. You know, Indiana has this long, rich tradition of winning basketball, but lately it's been kind of a mess. Four years ago, they hired a guy by the name of Archie Miller out of Dayton, who was supposed to be the next great coach, did not play out that way. And in fact, um, you know, towards the end of last year, Archie's final year, they got booed off the court with the few fans that they allowed in the stadium. So he gets fired. Um, the program's kind of in disarray. And then all of a sudden, we hire a guy by the name of Mike Woodson, who was an NBA coach for a lot of years and went to Indiana. And some amazing short-term things have happened. A lot of the players came back, big-time recruits, etc. So we went from a point of, of utter frustration to a point of, hey, this is going in the right direction. And that's the context. Enjoy. So this is my Costanza Corner. Costanza Corner, are you a Seinfeld fan, Jared? Of course. Of course. I mean, I just assume everyone else is. So there was this one episode where George Costanza is in the conference room, and I think it's Kruger Enterprises. And he starts to realize over time that if he says something good, he better leave just at that point because it's only going to go downhill, right? Yeah. We like to leave on a high note. We do something positive, something uplifting, something good, and then just get the heck out of there. That's like the segment. It. But I'm hijacking this. This is my Costanza corner. I got five questions on IU basketball. Boom. Hang around with this or you're not. Okay. So the for the reason I was able to do this is I got an email from uh, from a listener of ours um, happens to be a Purdue fan. Um, That's unfortunate. We have uh, we have these battles on the West Coast as well, Jared. That rivalry <laughs> travels, but this is uh, a listener. We'll call him Mike from Sand Hill Road, who sent me an email right after we had lost uh, the Rutgers game, and remember how that felt. Things mm. were kind of coming apart. You remember, this was many weeks ago. And he sent me an email. Yes. I said, yeah, here's a mailbag question. Is IU a football school now? <laughs> so is IU a football school? It's a really fun question. 
Um, just because like the notion of IU's football program even being good enough to ask that question is amazing. It's kind of a sick burn, um, and I'm not even a basketball fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, look, like normally if you ask that question, it would just be a total burn because it's like just kind of a joke because Indiana's football program has for the most part been a joke. But now they're like a bona fide top 25 team with a Heisman candidate at quarterback and this coach that is like kind of a national amazing. sensation. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. So, you know, it's not as much of a burn as it normally would be because our football program is actually good. But the answer to this question, and all IU fans know this, is no, we're not a football school. We're just, we just have a basketball program that's been really in the dumps for four or five years. But when basketball is rolling, it is the number one needle mover at IU. And it will be again once we get going. But it's been nice to have football kind of carry on some momentum you know, and it, look, if this keeps going, things could eventually change, but it hasn't changed yet. And so I think that's why you see all this excitement with Mike Woodson being hired and it feels like there's hope again. And it's just like been this enthusiasm coming out of the woodwork. It's all this like pent up, like just can we have a winning team? So the football program is much better, but no, we're not a football school. This is still a basketball. This is the basketball school in the basketball state. Purdue always wishes that they could be that. But even when they're better than us, they're still not that. So that's the well, they, they sorry do what to Purdue. They do. They have good teams yeah. that embarrass themselves in the NCAA tournament. That's kind of their thing. But they've beaten us nine times in a row, so whatever it is. So let's just say Shh, that. But that is going to end soon. No, just acknowledging, don't. just acknowledging the elephant in the room. But that's going to end soon. Listen, you're you're a nice guy. I'm going to tell you what. I can't wait for our freshman to run over Trey Kaufman this year. That's why I can't <laughs> wait. Okay. Uh, so and and here's why I say, by the way, just quickly, why it why it's a basketball school because I stop what I'm doing in the middle of my day to listen to an hour and change podcast about the third assistant coach that's being hired. <laughs> and we're all like really excited. I mean, who else does that? And I'm not the only yes. one, obviously. Yes. Okay. So, yes. so question two on my five questions on IU basketball, why is it different this time with the coaching change? Um, I think it is, but I thought the last coach was a good coach hire, a coaching hire. Um, I'm sure people felt the same way about cream. Why is it this different this time? I mean, obviously, we're going to have to see if it's actually different with the results. But the reason why it feels different is because it's just it's a different it's a different template for hiring a coach than they've ever used. You know, it's always been with Archie. It was let's get the young up and coming basketball coach with Crean. It was kind of the same thing. Let's get the young up and coming basketball coach who's kind of proven himself in an NCAA tournament. Crean had been to a final four. Archie's been to an elite eight. But those guys didn't have ties to IU. And I think what we found over time is that their personalities didn't really fit IU. And so maybe with a more you know, lengthy vetting process, which you don't have in these cases, we would have figured that out. The reason why it feels different is it's Mike Woodson. It's a guy who really understands kind of the Indiana basketball culture. But even more important or as important than that is he's got this NBA experience. And it's a total shift in the program. Instead of trying to prop up the past with kind of a new young coach. It's let's honor the past, but let's fully bring it into the future. This is going to be a program that acknowledges that kids want to get to the NBA as they win college basketball games, acknowledges that we've got some great traditions, but maybe not all of them are sacred cows. And let's figure out which ones still work and which ones should be in a museum, you know? And so that ability which I think could only have happened from someone who is actually part of the program like Scott Dolson and like Mike Woodson, that ability to say, hey, this program is special, but we got to bring it into a modern context. That is why it feels so different. And so we're going to see. 
God, it's been a good couple months, huh? Oof. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, when did you know? When was the moment that you knew that Archie wasn't the right guy? I mean, the moment when I was officially done was the first Purdue game of last year, the home game, when we were basically non-competitive in that game, and there was so much riding on it just because we had lost to them so often. That was such an important game in the season. And it's not like it was a complete blowout, but we were never really competitive, never in control of the game. At that point, I was done. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go a really quick list. Uh, Are you buying or selling? And when I list the people here... If you're buying, you're buying not just like a kind of minor role player that affects the game. I'm talking about a legit player on the team, like big step in where they are right now. Just for this year or for the future? Let's say next two years. How about that? Next two years. Okay. Jerome Hunter. Mm, I'm selling Jerome Hunter. Begrudgingly. I I love Jerome. I want to see it happen, but I don't know. I I, I I have to sell based on what I've seen. I agree. Uh, Galloway. Sell. That's a surprise to me. Anthony Leal. I mean, yeah. I'm giving you the hard ones. I'm not giving you the easy ones. <laughs> I, I know. Um, I'm going to sell Anthony Leal also. Wow. And the reason why, it's not that these guys don't have skills or couldn't succeed, but I think we're going to be recruiting at a level that's going to make it hard for them to see the court. You know, and both those guys are Indiana guys. Like I, so I hope I'm wrong on it. Um, and I think they work hard enough that I could see them totally flipping this on its head. But with the recruits that we're targeting, if we're getting some of these guys, you know, the athletic ability, the talent these guys are going to have is going to make it really hard for those guys, you know. So, Rob Finnessy. I'm buying Rob Finnessy as a senior. Ooh. You know, I I have to buy I have to buy my senior guard. I know that. Um, I know it. Better, different right. role, better role that I think will be more conducive to him just blending into the background and kind of being a role player, which is what I think he's better suited for. Are you buying or selling Dane Fife being the next head coach after Mike Woodson? I'm going to sell that. Ooh, See, these are surprising answers. Okay, um, Kurt. First of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to do this as you're staring and probably not knowing any of this. Thank you. Last question, then we'll get you out of here, Jared. Where? Give me a range of where you think. What's your pick uh, for where they'll finish in the Big Ten next year? Top four. Oh, wow. I think we're going to be good. I'm buying. Look, we we were bad last year, but we weren't that far off. And all of the things that were just glaring holes, a point guard that can attack and do stuff. Guys who can make shots, you know, other shot creators, like guys who actually play with some passion and some energy. They went and like handpicked guys that fill all of those roles. Now, hopefully we get someone who can play the four and actually make some shots outside. That's, you know, that's still to be seen. But that combined with the fact that the Big Ten is just not going to be as good, I'm buying because I think Woodson's like, I don't think the on court coaching stuff is going to bother Woodson that much. I think he's going to be fine with that stuff. And so the fact that they've put together a roster that's really good, really talented and balanced. Yeah, I'm buying. I think they'll finish in the top four. I love it. Thank you, my friend. Let me just throw out there, guys, as JV basketball player, I won both the three point and the free throw competition for my really small school. And I still have four years of eligibility. So just keep that in mind. We need shooters. We need shooters. 
We, need, we do need shooters. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know why it's so hard to, to make a jump shot. I don't know why it's hard to make a free throw, but we've proven it's actually kind of a difficult thing to do. Yes. Um, yes, we have. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming back. This is awesome. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Of course, man. Uh, awesome to see you. We appreciate all the uh, the comments, the guidance, the wisdom, all of it. So uh, we'll let you run. Thanks, everyone, uh, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.